<sighs> okay, so I'm going to go ahead and be honest. I didn't even really remember this episode walking into this. I really didn't. Like, it started up and it's like, flamethrowers. Yeah! I'm just like, okay, that's it's a decent cold open. You know, I'm with it. I'm with it. I look at this script. And it's by Bermanis. So, you know, probably some decent ideas. Directed by LeVar Burton. He's a great director. This has got to be good, right? Both Burton and Braga mention how much they hate this episode. And I'm like, oh, okay. This is probably going to be one I actually like. No, I'm not trying to be contrarian. I've noticed a trend, especially specifically amongst Enterprise, where if the creators like it, I don't, and vice versa. That's That's been true almost universally up to date, with only a couple of exceptions. Actually, I think like one exception. So I'm like, okay, it's got to be good, right? It's going to be good, right? Right? Trying out a new lighting setup for the Lamentation thing. We're at kind of a partial Lamentation lighting, because this isn't horrific death doom, but... No, I think I do think this episode deserves lamentation status. Let me share my notes with you. So Tucker offers the peaches to Paul, a vegetarian, as a peace offering. Cool. Archer's up late analyzing the database. Cool. To Paul uh, mentions a point, which is actually going to be important later, believe it or not. The idea that these might not be the Zindi that sent the weapon to destroy us. I just want to pause and comment on that because that is very rare in Star Trek. In Trek, if you talk about the Romulans, then that's the whole group. I've talked about this before. Usually the species name is uh, can be equally... Uh, what's the term for that? Uh, it can be used interchangeably with an organization name. If you say Romulan, you mean the Romulan Star Empire. If you say Klingon, you mean the Klingon Empire, and so forth and so on, right? And that's been true for a really long time, since TOS, actually. Her comment that the Zindi might not all be unified is an important one. Because that's how that should work. I mean, look at the planet we're on, for God's sakes. Think about how many different factions exist on this planet with this one species. Now, I know, planet hats, and we don't have the level of complexity we can go into. And I get that. We've had that discussion before. But at the same time, if you're going to have a long-term arc with a species that shows up regularly, well, that allows us to do more with that species. That's exactly why the Klingons are not a planet of hats because they've actually had that development time across multiple shows. That's exactly why it is that uh, the Cardassians and the Bajorans and the Ferengi are not a planet of hats, because they had most of Deep Space Nine to develop them, and you get the idea. So, okay, I'm with this concept. Then, uh, people are Pokemon. And the next note I have is um, during the outro when they decided to keep the virus alive. Let me let me say that again in case you missed that. I, I sit here. Not this. I usually have my headphones on so I can hear it. Pen in hand. This is how I do these. And I got this ready to go. And I am focused. And I've got analysis mode on. And this has happened to me periodically. And I'm just sitting here like... Nothing. I've got nothing. Nothing is occurring to me. Now, I did write down a couple of notes afterwards, because what I did is I stopped, took a pace. Actually, I have I did something else first, but I'm going to save that for later, okay? Bear with me. But, so, I did the other thing, which I'll tell you about later. And then I stopped, and then I just, you know, fin finished the episode, walked up and just paced for a bit. Tried to get the mind working, right? It's like, okay. I gotta say something. 
This is my job, right? I can't have a three-minute rumination. So what the hell do I talk about? Well, this episode sucks, but that's irrelevant. That No information is conveyed by saying that. That's inconsequential. Why does it suck? So let's tackle the surface level, shall we? It's extremely derivative. I hate to use that word. I hate to use words like cliched or, you know, they've done this before or whatever, because in my opinion, people overuse those words when it comes to derising fiction, because there's no such thing as something that's new. You know, I've, I've said that a bajillion, gagrillion times. Something being new, well, first of all, isn't possible, but second of all, does not make something better. Something being good makes something better. Thus, you can see why people usually use the word cliché as a negative, because what they actually mean when they say that is, it's clichéd and badly done. They just kind of marry those two things in there. So this is an episode in which aliens propagate through other aliens via a virus. Okay, so we've got the Voyager thing going on. Um, and they morph them on the fly into the new person. So we got the TNG thing going on with Identity Crisis. And it's treated almost one-to-one -one like a zombie infection from, insert, zombie fiction of your choice here. Most of them follow the same general rules. There you go. Derivative and not particularly well executed. I started thinking about it, though. What was interesting about the Voyager episode? Well, they did some cool stuff um, with, you know, her. I can't remember her name. And her, it was mostly about her, not the species. It wasn't about the threat. It was about developing her trying to fit back in with Voyager and having issues and other people looking at her weird. And while that episode had massive issues... No, it really did. It, it's actually something that kind of irritated me about that episode. Nevertheless, her and her connection to Harry were the main crux of that episode. Character-focused, okay? So it kind of sat on the guest star and the guest star's connection to a main star. Does that sound familiar? Because Identity Crisis over in TNG pulled the same trick. I started thinking, what made Identity Crisis better than this episode? You know, really, what actually made it better? Two things. First of all, the guest star, I wrote down her name, I'm going to screw this up, uh, Marianne Plunkett, who, who plays Susanna Lighton. I think I actually didn't screw that up. Holy crap. So she's a, she was a good guest star. Star Trek has always lived and breathed on its guest stars. And she had a direct connection to Jordy, and Jordy's awesome. That episode also did something clever. It did the holodeck scene. Now, what I mean by that is, and I gushed about this during the, the, not the inner life, <laughs> during the, uh, identity crisis rumination. The way the holodeck was used in that episode was awesome. It's one of, I'd say, two times TNG used the holodeck properly. Actually using it as a tool rather than a we want to go have fun in a different period to have cheaper sets kind of a thing. The other time would be um, the, not the nth degree, the one with the Solarians, or with their clack, 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 or not the Solarians, God, what are they called? They're not named in the episode. They're named in S2. You know the one I'm talking about, where they describe the, the table in the middle of the room. Everyone's going to jump into the comments and mention the name of that episode. You know the one I'm talking about. So they used a tool on the show to clever extent, and it had the main character and the guest star and the connection between the two. You seeing the problems here? So who's the guest star on this episode? Well, the answer is nobody. I mean, there's the alien commander dude, but he has a grand total of three scenes, all of which are just him saying, I'm going to kill everything because it's my gerb. And that's it. More on that in a minute. So, that doesn't work. Do they use anything cleverly like they did over an Identity Crisis? Or do they present this as a cool concept like they did in Voyager? No. Okay. All right. So, we don't have anything cool. 
We don't have an idea. We don't have a possible threat. Um, is it relevant to the overall story arc? This is something that could have salvaged it. I'm just going to spoil this for you. This virus never comes up again. Now, this would have only salvaged it from lamentation status, I think. It would still be a very bad episode, you know, a one-off. But if, you know, keep the virus, hold it on board the ship. Okay. Now, for those of you who have seen this show, the episode Damaged, or Damage, I forget which one it is, but you know what I'm talking about. Think about that little virus, which is horrifically, horrifically mutative, and takes place in seconds, again, like the zombie plague, and is airborne during that episode, and Phlox just has it somewhere on the ship. But no, it's never mentioned again, ever. So that's not a thing. All right, well, what are we left with? Character. There's only two characters that get any real screen time here. Paul and Tucker. Now you think, aha, both good characters, great chemistry together, work well. Nope, they have nothing to do with each other other than the initial scene, which is a decent scene, I'll give you that. And the entire rest of it is just her acting off of them going all ape and him trying to, you know, buy time with the threat of the week in order to give him enough time to get the cure. That's it. No character moments for anybody, not even individually. Lots of the episode focuses on the ape side of things. Like, they're probably the biggest character focus. Which, huh? Now, that could work if you do something with it, but they don't. They're just... And that's about the extent of the characterization. So there's nothing here. That's what I'm trying to say. That's the point I'm trying to emphasize. Now, you're thinking, Laura, that doesn't sound lamentation-worthy. And you're right. But here's the thing. So we've got a bad episode with Pokemon genetics, with a redone story twice, which has no point and lots of padding, and it interferes with the arc. Now, I talked about this a couple episodes ago, about how you have a string continuity, but then you have a one random episode of the week in the middle of it. This is an episode of the week. It has nothing to do with anything. This will be mentioned once in the next episode and then never again. So this is just an interruption in the arc. Even the next episode, which I don't remember liking all that much, still has something to do with something that'll come up in another future episode, which I really don't like. But at least there's some continuity here. This is just a bump on the road, right? So, not only is it actively bad at every level, it's actually getting in the way of the good stuff. There's so many ways they could have restructured this to make it work, even though most of those ways would involve just basically aping the previous two episodes. But again, the cliche isn't the bad part. It's the implementation that's the bad part. But you're probably waiting for that final oomph. I've said this many times. By the time this video goes live, you will, the, the new lamentation rules have been well exemplified. We've been doing this since like mid-TNG at this point. There needs to be... So, so we've got lamentation, one-off, two-off, three-off. And that's, that's the, the categories of awful to terrible to worse to, to lamentation, right? But in order to go from awful to terrible to lamentation, to get that final step down there, there needs to be an extra oomph to push it. And that was what was holding me back. I'm like, I mean, this is a terrible episode, but it doesn't have any oomph. And then I realized what I was doing while I was thinking that. And I, it didn't even click with me because I was doing it so automatically because I was so immensely deinvested and actively bored. I was playing Mega Man. Now, I don't do that for reference. 
I, I mean, I can. I, I'm really good at multitasking. And in fact, most of the time, I've talked about this with some of my friends before, you know, m most of my friends and family who know me very well know that when I pull out a video game to play, like on the Switch or the DS or whatever, while we're watching a movie together, the majority of my attention is on that movie and the friend and family I'm with. It's just something that, you know, I enjoy doing. It's just me being me, right? But I don't do that for these because I don't want to miss anything. I want 100% of my focus on that. I don't want to get distracted. I don't want anything to be disparaging in any other direction. I just want to be all on the thing, full analysis mode. And, um, well, I was so deprived of stimulus that I had to do something, actually take action to do something. Remember how I mentioned I'd tell you what I did first earlier? Well, the first thing I did is I jumped, I got up and moved the chair here and just started doing my stretches, just a normal stretch cycle right here. Couldn't hear the episode, but that's okay. I've, I've got subtitles up and I can see what's going on. And I sat back down. I'm like, okay, maybe eight minutes pass. And I'm just sitting here like, Ugh. so I pull up my switch, which is actually right there. It's on the charger right now. I'm going to start playing Mega Man because I, I can play Mega Man without, you know, being that distracted because it's Mega Man. It's one of my wheelhouses. You know, I, I got that. So I'm just sitting there playing Mega Man, and like I said, I was in the middle. I can tell you the exact spot I was at. There's this part in Mega Man 1 during Bomb Man stage, and you have to climb up a ladder. I, know, I don't know why I'm describing this. Nobody knows this, the area I'm talking about. But you have to climb up a ladder, and there's these floating Met Hats that show up, and they shoot in, uh, I think it's eight, three, four, six, seven, eight, eight directions at once, and you have to gum up and then go down the, the ladder and dodge the... Uh, Dodge the, the shots as you're going. And I was in that section as I'm going through that stage. And I'm like, wow, I would rather sit here and replay Mega Man 1. Granted, I'm practicing for the upcoming review. Than actually pay attention to the episode. It is rare that I call an episode of Trek aggressively boring. It is quite rare. If it's bad, it's at least interesting. There's usually at least something to discuss or talk about, but this was just a whole lot of nothing. This reminds me in many ways of Shades of Grey, probably one of the last times I remember an episode being truly this aggressively boring. Which leads me to the red lights. So, what do you think? Do you think this one deserves the status? Do you think it's, you know, a great episode? Do you enjoy it? Why do you enjoy it? Do you hate it? Why do you hate it? As ever, and as always, I want to know your comments, especially if you have any ideas for how to fix it. Because I stared at this episode for a long time. This is one we're going to eject for the rewrite project, because anything I could think of to fix it doesn't fit here. It, it doesn't belong in the Zindi arc at all. It doesn't have, I'll come back to that in a second. It doesn't belong in the Zindi arc with one caveat. It doesn't do anything that's relevant for the characters of the story. And any changes I can think of are really just straight up aping previous episodes of previous shows. Now I mentioned the caveat and I said I'd bring this up later. So alien guy, the, the enemy commander, they could have done something with theme here. Maybe focus more on him and his team and frame this more like a horror story. Hear me out for a second. Change the camera view entirely. Uh, go ahead and maybe have the initial initial thing. Maybe. Have them go down. Have to call to Paul be attacked. Oh my gosh. What do we do? Ah! Cut to the alien commander. And for the next probably about 20-ish minutes, maybe longer, the camera doesn't leave the alien crew. Sir, we've got another detection of an outbreak. Oh, no. We've got a detection of a ship around planet XX355. <sighs> Let's hope to... 
God, they didn't actually land. Go ahead and check it out. And they go and they check it out and they see they've landed. It's like, okay, we've got to deal with this. And again, frame it like a horror story. But most importantly of all, really focus in on the character of the enemy commander. First of all, eject that enemy part of that. Make this something he hates doing. Make this something that weighs on him. Maybe as he's getting ready to to suit up and, and head down himself, because he insists on... For once, him going down would make sense, for reasons I'll get to in a minute. As he looks, and he's going through like his, his ready room or something, and he looks, and he sees... There's like mementos just there, and he just stares at them with this really determined, angry, hurt face as he's just processing that he's about to add another thing to that shelf. Gets the helmet on, grabs his flamethrower, goes down, and they are then hunted by Archer and crew. At a certain point through this, we would see the creatures that are hunting them portrayed in typical monster movie fashion, as in, in manners that I've discussed before, like in the Aliens Rumination, for example, right? Or uh, in, this is a weird example, but in Monsters University, they actually frame Boo during the early part of the film as a horror movie monster in the same style and approach of how she shows up and how she sneaks behind them and all, all the usual stuff that comes into that kind of thing. So do that with Archer and with Sato and with Reed. And we get flashes of them and where we see Bakula in, in costume and we see, you know, Sato or I don't remember the, uh, Linda Park in, in the makeup and so forth and so on. And it's like, oh my gosh. And we kind of see what's going on. And finally it gets to the point where someone, probably to Paul, reaches out to the commander personally. Are you, why are you doing this? And he hesitates. And he has them dead to rights. He could just burn them right now, but he hesitates. And he lowers the flamethrower just a little bit. And this leads to, probably an attack, but this leads to communication. It's like this has ravaged this section of space for, for decades. We, we, our first in, in interaction with this virus, we didn't even catch it until the entire southern seaboard was gone. The only thing that stopped it was the mountain chain, you know, the, 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 the Furian Mountains or the Furian Chain or something like that. You know, come up with a name so it sounds natural, you know, workshop the dialogue a little bit better than what I'm coming up with right now off the top of my head. So if it wasn't for that, we might have lost the whole continent. We, we had to burn whole countrysides to sterilize it. We still didn't catch all of it. There were still outbreaks. We determined, and, and it mentioned that he's a volunteer. He's part of a team whose only job is to seek out people who might try to spread this virus. And they track certain planets which are just infested with it, including this one that they've just stopped by. Now, you're probably thinking, Lord, what does this have to do with the Zindi arc? Archer. This is someone who has to do this horrible dark thing that he hates. That tears at him. Those little things on the shelf, those are mementos he keeps from the people he kills. You know, after being thoroughly cleansed and deconned. Just so, just so he can have some kind of remembrance that those people ever existed. You know, he, maybe mention that he doesn't even talk to his parents anymore or his wife or kids because he can't bear to. Because he doesn't know what they're gonna see when the comm turns on. Really delve into his character as a way to kind of showcase the overall arc that Archer and indeed the crew in general should be going through throughout the course of season three. And then, you know, the third option shows up, yay, and they figure out a way to, to solve it because T'Pol wasn't injured. I would probably have him more involved in that. You, you're not, you're not changing. No, you are changing, but you're not changed. Why? I'm not sure yet. 
but my ship is trying to figure out why. And maybe have a moment where he doesn't say anything, but the actor's expression is just like you could see him clinging to the idea, to the hope that he could stop doing this job. And then he just kind of flattens it and then raises the flamethrower. It's like, I'm sorry, I can't take the risk or something like that. And then you know, that's how I would do this story. It would be a little more expensive, which is the main problem. You would have to hire more guest stars, and you would have to keep the same makeup job, and you would have to have uh, the enemy ships set. However, those sets exist. Extras are easier to come by. Getting a good guest star is not that hard. And given that you would lo- you would be able to save money on, like for example, the long establishing shot of Urquad and all that stuff, I think the budget wouldn't be a huge issue. The catch would be pulling the actor, the the, the person you pull in to be the commander. You notice I'm not calling him enemy anymore. Pull in his character and get a good guest star for that. And that would be the tricky part. But we do have Burton directing. So I think at the very least, we have part of what we need to pull in the necessary character elements to make him handle the weight of the episode. And since thematically it would be connected to the arc, it's not a complete waste of time. What do you think? (sighs) This was a bit exhausting, I'm not going to lie. I do hope you've enjoyed my thoughts. I am very much looking forward to yours. See you next time.